All right, everybody. New edition, bleeding, Claire and Cobalt, RSL assistant coach Matt Taylor. Coming up today from Tucson, Arizona. And we've only got a couple more days left here in Tucson. This trip will end with Wednesdays. Wednesday, February 2nd, a little scrimmage game here against Houston Dynamo. Houston just got down here. RSL been here for a little over a week. Seattle Sounders have been here for the duration. Portland Timbers as well. Colorado Rapids were here for the first several days that RSL was here. They've gone, I think, now to Palm Springs to get ready for their uh, CONCACAF match that they have coming up. Sporting Kansas City and Houston Dynamo now uh, sharing the facility here in Tucson. Kino Sports Complex. RSL not playing any ticketed or gated scrimmages. Portland, Seattle did play last week. Kansas City played, I want to say Colorado, Saturday night. Saturday was a day where RSL had three scrimmages. Uh, The first 45-minute scrimmage was against Grand Canyon, as was the second 45 minutes. So that was a game where uh, the first group, effectively you could call them the starting group. I'll pull up the, uh, the roster here. Um, first 45 minutes, David Ochoa in goal. The new draft pick out of Pittsburgh, uh, Jasper, was playing right back. Justin Glad, Eric Holt playing center back. Tate Schmidt over on the left. Everton Luis just officially announced as a re-signing Saturday morning was playing uh, holding mid. You did have uh, the young RSL homegrown Julio Benitez playing next to him in the role that I think we're used to seeing Pablo Ruiz in last year. And then Demir Krylock really kind of orchestrating things in the center of the park. Justin Miram on the left, Bobby Wood up top. Bobby Wood looked great. And then the uh, first round draft pick, or the first draft pick, I should say, from 2022, Pedro Fonseca out of Louisville playing on the right side. So you had two rookies on the right in Jasper and or I should say Jasper, he's German, not uh, South American. And Pedro Fonseca over on the right. And um, and those guys obviously, you know, just took time. I think uh, they've been training with the club a couple weeks. And um, they both showed some great flashes and showed some, uh, as you might expect, a couple weeks in the preseason and a scrimmage that they weren't really on the same page with everybody else. But Bobby Wood consistently got himself into excellent, excellent positions. Demir Krylock with the only goal in that first 45 minutes, kind of running on to a bad pass by the Grand Canyon University defense. That Grand Canyon keeper in this 45 made uh, made some good saves. But um, Eric Holt, I thought, looked great. Justin Glad looked really good as well. Uh, Everton fit as a fiddle and uh, sharp, clean on the ball. And Julio Benitez, the young guy, just balled out. So that's a, maybe a little bit of a surprise that he was in with that group. I think maybe Pablo and the coaching staff wanted to just kind of see how he handled that assignment. And I think he passed all tests with flying colors. The second 45 also against Grand Canyon University on Saturday here at the Kino Sporting Complex, ended up 0-0. So the good news is that the RSL uh, defense did not give up any goals and really only gave up, I think, a couple shots on goal. I think Ochoa 
uh, had a pretty easy time in his first 45, Zach McMath, did pull a couple uh, balls off a guy's feet in that second 45. Andrew Brody over, uh, I think he was playing, let me think here. So you had uh, Eric Holt in the middle next to Haciel Orozco, another uh, phenomenal homegrown player that everybody here has very, very high hopes for. Probably the homegrown signing from 2022 out of the five that we might see in MLS most quickly. That seems to be the coach's expectation. Edgar Castillo, uh, former Colorado Rapid, former FC Cincinnati, former Atlanta United, former New England Revolution, longtime veteran of Liga MX and uh, the U.S. national team, as well as the Mexican national team. He played the, this second 45 at left back. Andrew Brody playing on the right. Scott Caldwell, the offseason uh, free agent signing, was in there next to Pablo Ruiz. Johnny Menendez in the 10 role. And then you did have um, a trialist who I cannot name right now. Um, you've seen maybe him rumored as a uh, trialist or training player from perhaps a cousin club of RSLs under the Blitzer football family. And then you did have a Pierre Reedy, a trialist, and um, Garrett McLaughlin, another trialist, uh, that have been uh, named... Uh, to the preseason camp roster. So you've seen those guys out there. And then um, uh, Derek Dodson did end up playing uh, a lot of minutes up top, up front, um, the Georgetown kid uh, in this second 45. So again, you go 1-0 in the first 45, 0-0. Second 45 against Grand Canyon. And then the third game, which I did not see much of, but uh, it was effectively the younger RSL players against uh, the RSL Arizona, I think U-17s, and um, Axel K, is his pronounce, is how you pronounce his name, Axel K, had, I think, a penalty kick as well as another goal. Uh, Yekasin Suba, they call him Yak, uh, Monarchs player from last year, who's had, I think, a pretty dynamic camp. Scored a great, great header. And so RSL wins that game 3-0. So 135 minutes of action, zero goals conceded for RSL, and really kind of the first competitive stint for the Claret and Cobalt this year. So 48 hours left in Tucson. Tuesday will be a normal training day, fitness, probably a little bit of a weight lift. There's a MLS Players Union meeting these are the kinds of things that happen throughout preseason and then the team will get up wednesday morning pack leave the hotel not to return i think everybody's ready to go sleep in their own beds in salt lake but before they get back there there will be a uh, 90 minute scrimmage against the houston dynamo out there at the Kino training complex so that is a game that will be followed um and tracked on rsl social media on my personal social media as well we could not do that with the game saturday because of a let's call it a mix-up between the Kino sporting complex our fc tucson hosts the rsl arizona and grand canyon university um outreach uh the facility simply was not staffed appropriately to be able to handle um 
even as many as let's say 150 people I think there was concern because of some Facebook posts and some other uh, online promotion that the that the Arizona entities Grand Canyon University and our youth affiliates would bring tens of thousands of people out here so uh, it was a bit of a 11th hour decision to kind of make that scrimmage or those scrimmages more or less closed and um, you know not a gated game that's complicated there's a lot of politics about the FC Tucson Kino sporting stadium authority that I'm not privy to so we uh, we just elected not to post videos and photos from that however our good friend Andy Munoz, who you know maybe from the RSL show, certainly you know him from KSL Sports, was down here uh, for Channel 5 KSL, our streaming partner, and he was able to capture some interviews, some videos, some content, some of which you've already seen, some of which which will be bleeding out over the course of the next couple of weeks. The three games that we do play in Portland from February 13th through the 19th all three of those games will be streamed live in the RSL on KSL app, and um, that's exciting because those are uh, MLS competition, two of the three games, Minnesota United on the Wednesday, Portland Timbers the host on the final Saturday, and Pablo Mastroeni's team will open that preseason stage with a Sunday afternoon game, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, against a Viking FC of Norway. And then, um, so you'll have that scrimmage, and then you can watch the, the Bengals and the Rams if you so choose. But anyway, uh, 48 hours left here in Tucson. I think it's been good. The vibes are great. Being around the team is awesome. Obviously, uh, you have the core back from a year ago. You've got some new faces that are integrating. I think... Young guys that have kept the level up. And you'll hear some of that next from Matt Taylor. They're not really dragging down um, the speed, the intensity, the work of the group. I think that's always a concern when you've got 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds in with you know, 25, 30, 34-year-olds that are putting food in their family's mouth and you know feeding their family. And it's a career. And uh, when you have such a wide range of... Uh, disparity in experience. I think that is uh, usually the coaching staff's first concern is can the young guys keep up? They have. Uh, and um, you've got a, a large group of guys that have been brought into the club either on trial, through draft, um, or are expected to provide uh, minutes for the Monarchs. So Brett Halsey, who was last year's draft pick, and we saw a lot of Monarchs action from last year, was here with the team. Bodie Davis, uh, came into camp uh, late, but he has been around the last few days. Maybe he gets some minutes against Houston. Who knows? Uh, Hamas and Olave, um, Mirza, Joel, the whole Monarch staff is here as well. And um, so it's a lot of players. I think there's 32 total players in camp, 33 now. And the sessions have been not overly long usually 90 minutes a day and uh, sometimes guys are doing individual work on the back end um, but you know the intensity is there as uh, you may have heard uh, Brian Schmetzer and Robin Fraser talking about Pablo uh, during the FC Tucson press press conference last week is uh, you know he's got the guys uh, working hard with smiles on their faces and I think us as RSL fans 
that's that's about all you can ask. So uh, without any further ado, listen to this um, edition. Claret, bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Matt Taylor, he's been around for a year. He's a guy that played a lot of games in Major League Soccer for both Kansas City, Chivas. He takes us through his path, a very circuitous path, through MLS to Australia, then through Germany, back to UCLA, his alma mater. And then uh, he was an assistant alongside Pablo under Freddie Juarez for 2021. Obviously, Freddie goes to Seattle. Uh, we've seen Freddie and Albert a few times here. They've both been very pleasant, big smiles on their faces. Uh, always happy to see former colleagues here at RSL. And um, and then Matt Taylor talks a little bit about the culture that, that he and Pablo and the rest of the staff have been trying to build, the challenges, the opportunities ahead for 2022. So this is a fun interview, a little bit long, but uh, Matt's a verbose guy, and uh, I think we can all learn a lot listening to him talk about his path through the world of football, how it's grown, how it's changed in the last couple of decades, uh, you know, with MLS growing as well here in the U.S. and Canada. And um, it's just great stuff. So here it is, the latest edition, Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt, your host, Trey Fitzgerald. That's me alongside Matt Taylor, RSL assistant coach, back home producing this, making it consumable, is our man, Ryan Hale. And as always, Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt, brought to you by our friends at OneWire, onewire.co. Always uh, great to have the support of, of Adam Sessions and the, uh, and the OneWire family. Hey guys, uh, Ryan and I love bringing you this content uh, multiple times per week or per month, and we couldn't do it without Adam Sessions at OneWire. And we really want you to experience the level of customer service that Adam and all of his colleagues at OneWire provide their clients, their uh, business partners, their constituents. So um, if you're not a business owner, tell your boss to uh, uh, upgrade their voice and their business communications by going over to onewire.co and check out all the services uh, that OneWire has to offer. Adam's a big soccer fan. We've converted the whole office into uh, supporters of RSL. And um, we just ask that you, if you have any opportunity whatsoever uh, in your business, your family's business, um, or your, you know, in your circle of, of influence to uh, refer one wire because uh, there is no doubt in my mind that they'll be able to handle all of your uh, voice communications and uh, other business uh, tech needs. So go over again to the number one wire.co and you can see the uh, depth and breadth of options available. So that's it for our proud partner, one wire. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, your host, Trey Fitzgerald, here with RSL assistant coach Matt Taylor. Matt, thanks for hanging out with us today. Of course, glad to be here. So, Matt, we're here at uh, preseason in Tucson, a couple weeks now down, starting to feel a little like Groundhog Day, but um, you've been with the club a little over a, a year now, right? So, I guess give us your your impressions and your uh, thoughts on your first uh, 300 plus days with Real Salt Lake. 
Yeah, it was a wild ride. It's been a wild ride, and yeah. I think it continues to be with the uh, the transitions that we've seen, where the club's going, where we want to go, and um, I think it's uh, overall very positive. I've really enjoyed the experience so far. Let's uh, let's start with your path to this club. Um, obviously, I'm a I'm an old MLS guy, so I remember you as a player for Kansas City, a player for Chivas. Um, you and I spoke briefly on the phone a few years ago when I was in Austria and, and you were, I think just back at UCLA from Germany, but, um, wanted to try to maybe get you involved in that project. And then finally we're here together in Salt Lake. So I guess, um, tell us about that time from the early days of your career in MLS and and what took you over to Germany. Starting in the MLS went over to Kansas City and then played my first year. It was a great year. Team had a lot of success. The expansion draft came. Um was was sitting there with Bob Ganzor at the time and he said, Look, you're you're our twelfth man. We I think we could protect ten at the time. Yeah. Um so he just said, We can't protect you and I know what that means. He said, We're we're gonna lose you. So the next the next question was where was I gonna go? Between Salt Lake or Chivas. Salt Lake or Chivas. <laughs> and so that was a big day. I was driving home. I, it's funny how you remember certain certain uh, uh, points in your life. was driving home uh, from Kansas City back to California. I uh, was, was in Denver, or I was actually in Vail. So right yeah. out, and we stopped for the night, was waiting on the news, and it was Chivas USA. Yeah. And so the, th- the first thought of, of Real Salt Lake came up in the expansion draft. I prepared myself already mentally that I could be, could be playing here. Yeah. Didn't happen at that time. Uh, went to Chivas USA. Had a crazy couple years. Um, went through I think four coaches, four coaches in two and a half, three years. Um, uh-huh. Broke my ankle. Had a couple hernia surgeries. Was just really um, difficult time for for a young pro. Yeah. Uh, with all the transition and the injuries and, and time missed. Um, and it ended up that that uh, the final year that I was there, um, I was I was ready uh to move on Precky was a coach um kind of had a, had a, a an interesting conversation with him um and i was just i was ready to move on and so that's that's kind of the direction it went and um yeah. i was an adventurer I, i'm yeah. an adventurer and you can see by the by my career i've kind of been all over the place and at that point i had nowhere to go but i knew i'm someone that i believe if if i believe in myself and i knew that if I if I was happy and doing the things I wanted to do and doing it with with all the passion that that I want to approach it with, that I'd end up in a better place. And so, yeah. follow my heart. Um, left Chivas, had nothing for a couple months. Um, played a couple games with Portland Timbers, um, and eventually uh, went over to Australia. And so, when I was in Australia, oh, okay. yeah, went over to Australia. I was in Australia. Had a had a contract offer uh, from Adelaide. Uh, the problem was they, they didn't have any foreign spots for four months and they said, look, you can stay here, um, four months training with the team. And, and when the, when the window opens, you'll be, you'll, yeah. you'll be on the roster. And again, I was, I was, didn't feel good about that. So I went off, surfed a little bit, traveled, traveled Australia. And then a couple of weeks later, someone I met in Adelaide said, Hey, I got to bring you to Germany. He was a national team player, played it played in the Bundesliga for a bunch of years. Um, it's like, great. You gotta, you gotta play. So he wrote me an email. I was in the, in the middle of the rainforest somewhere in Australia and <laughs> took off and went over to Germany. It's wild. Yeah, that was a, it was another 
wild, wild ride, but that's kind of, kind of the path that, that I was willing to be on, uh, willing to do anything, go anywhere. Um, did you speak any German at that time? No German. Wow. That's a hard language to learn. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing was going out there. Um, I was at a good life age where I had some good experience. Um, and I, I, I think I appreciated just, just life and soccer and everything that everything that much more mm. because of what I had been through the previous couple months and, and leaving something on the table in Chivas, yeah. um, leaving the MLS when I, when I could have kept going, but just knew that through the injuries and, and the time at Chivas that I needed something new, I was willing to do anything. Uh, I would, I would have died for the cause, yeah. um, which is maybe good and bad. <laughs> it's a pretty ballsy move, right? Cause I don't think there were a lot of Americans going abroad at that time that weren't maybe national team guys, right? Not a lot. No, no. And that, that was the hardest part. What people probably think it nowadays, it's easy. Yeah. Every youth talent's heading over there. Back but I mean, even Landon Donovan used to talk about he wasn't getting the ball in training because they didn't respect the American nature, right? Or, or him. It's different. And, and every guy that was in England, Germany, wherever, they just really had to fight tooth and nail for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, it, it was such a different time. Yeah, I, mem- I remember going in to to the second Bundesliga, and some of the veteran guys would 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 have a laugh about Americans. Um, but there was something that was appreciated. It was it was uh, our ability, mentality, ability to work hard, fight through everything. And I think it just I was one of those types of people, so I, I fit that cliche of, yeah. the, of the the older I think American personality coming okay. over. Um, and that's maybe where. Landon, unbelievable quality and everything, but he he might not have fit that. Okay, what sure. potentially what they're expecting is a, yeah. a gritty, tough, just yeah. nails American. He, I mean, yeah. he's one of the best players America's ever produced, but right. I think it's more for the for the other side of the game. So, uh, yeah, I think that 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 was a part of the strengths that that I was able to bring. Okay, and, and uh, yeah, I think it was pretty gutsy. Uh, you could say gutsy. I, yeah. I, uh, and how long were you, because you played first, second, and third division when you were there, right? No, so I stepped into the second Bundesliga. Okay. Um, which was which was a, a great jump. I think there, the team I, I, I latched onto was Koblenz. They were in the second Bundesliga. And um, the first first game, I think I looked around and there were, it was like someone told me, he's like, oh, you got eight national team players around you um, from, from different countries. Wow. In, in Europe and South Korea, we had, we had a bunch of national team players. And there was a half American that was in goal, uh, David Yeldell, ended up getting a call up to the national, American national team a couple mm. years later, a year or two later. But walking into a team like that, it was really eye-opening. Um, just so international. And the, the, the common language in the locker room was, was English. Okay. Uh, coach spoke fluently a couple different languages. Yeah. Mario Bassler was our assistant. I think he scored, he scored the game winner. He scored a goal in the Champions League final. Wow. I mean, just famous for his personality mm. as much as his right foot. Um, incredible. And, and I mean, the great story is I get there. Well, there's two stories. So I, I get to, to Germany. I'm in with this team trialing. It's a couple days before the season. Boom. They, they decide to sign me. So great. I got a contract. I don't speak, don't speak German. <laughs> Most of the team and the head coach speak, uh, um, English, but Mario doesn't speak English. Or right. if he does, he doesn't want to pretend like he does. And this is, he's, I didn't even know at the time, and I was a naive American. I didn't know he was won a Champions League, scored in the final, all this, all this great stuff. So I, I get there, and it's I think it's like eight days later. It's my first game, and he and he walks up to me, and 
looks at me and I get the start and coach coach signs me right away gives me a start in the first second Bundesliga game and so I've got I think I got one pair of cleats. I was traveling. I was traveling the world. I came straight from right. from Australia. I went <laughs> over right to Germany. Got into this trial. Got at the team. Season started a week later, and and sitting there, Mario Basler comes up to me and says, "Hmm." He just kind of grunts at me. I look up at him. What's up? He tells me to lift up my. Just kind of points at my shoes and says, "Lift them up." I had mold. I had molded shoes on. Yeah. So and. Apparently in Germany at the time, uh, the fields aren't as nice as, as you can say. They're, they're just, they weren't as well kept. Looked at me and grunted again and kind of shook his head and said, and gave me the finger like, no, 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 you can't wear those. And I said, so I, I, just shrug, I shrugged <laughs> my shoulders and I didn't know how to say it. I'm yeah. like, I don't have anything else. And so he, so he looked at me and just kind of shook his head and walked away. And I said, wow, really interesting way before, before your first start right. to, to get that confidence from, from, the, from the staff. And so. We went out. We had a home game. We won three zero. I scored a goal, and and so he came in and, and said he just pointed at the shoes again and kind of grunted and said, just gave me a thumbs up and said, kind of rolled the fingers like you can do that again, no problem. <laughs> so interesting, interesting stories. That's that's the just getting into the lay of the land. Yeah, uh, and, and I didn't follow German soccer until I got there, but but definitely, it was a different time. Old school Germany. I, sure. I walked into an old school coach. I mean. Yeah. They would share cigars. Him and the other coach would share cigars in a little office and have a bottle of wine open at 11 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> After training, we're coming in and having meetings. It just was, it was a different time. Yeah. It really was. Where come from, from the MLS, you still had, I think it was more, everyone would say it's like MLS 1.0. Yeah. Still, it was still a bit, of a, a bit of a mesh. There was 12 teams. But you got over to Germany and there was that, there was that transition. I came right in the transition time of, okay, modern, forward-thinking soccer and and old school tough rough around the edges sure. german yeah um and i walked into an old school rough around the edges german first uh and then i got to experience the newer more modern side of german soccer which which was good to experience both so how long were you over there total ended up playing nine years and then staying over there and and was doing a little bit of scouting a little bit of agent work. okay so n- nine years of playing um ended up being a lot longer i always thought oh i'll head over here see what happens a year or two if it's great then maybe move on and come back to the states um it went well so i just just kept on finding new clubs and then playing playing in different cities did you cross paths with demir crylock at all uh no i think i looked uh, we were chatting before he was at union berlin i think he came right when i right when i left okay um and went so i went back down to the, the third Bundesliga as i started to get older and and um it just so so worked out actually there too it's it's funny it's like chivas i i left a contract on the table in second bundesliga for for an for an opportunity in the third bundesliga yeah. and and at that time i think right when i went to the to preussen munster in the third bundesliga he came over and went to union berlin oh uh, okay awesome but um, i did play against Bo- bobby wood and uh, i played against bobby a couple of course times. okay so he was 1860 he was yeah. young i think he was 18 18 yeah. or 19 and i remember just saying what's up to him. Americans. Yeah. Uh, so played and he subbed on to, to one or two of the games that we, oh, we played wow. against 1860. Nice. Nice. Um, how did you connect with Pablo and end up here in Salt Lake? Um, so I came back, came back um, straight to UCLA. Right. And was finishing my degree. Um, started, was coaching uh, right away. Started, mm-hmm. started coaching with, with the the UCLA men's soccer team, um, finishing my degree, which took long enough, got it before I hit forty, so <laughs> that's fantastic. 
uh, and and at the time I was I was loving what I was doing. I was at UCLA. Uh, it was a great place. I was it, at home. Yeah, I played at UCLA, so it, it was a natural fit. Right. Um, fin- finished my degree and kind of was happy with what I was doing. Started a master's program. Um, had, had a master's program. They opened up in education, coaching, and leadership. So it was, it was right up my alley. It was, yeah. was kind of just was really enjoying the coaching aspect of it, getting my feet wet. Um, and and out of the blue, just just got a call that um, Real Salt Lake was looking for an assistant. And I had just turned down a job with with uh, in the organization at Galaxy a couple months before. They had a conversation with them and just said, "Hey, come on over. Um, let's let's get you started in the pro game." Uh, and, and it wasn't the right time. It just didn't feel as right. I, I was seriously entertained by the, the, the offer was really entertaining, but it just didn't feel right. And then Freddie spoke with Freddie, yeah. um, last year, uh, in preseason. And, and he just, uh, I liked the vision. I, I liked what he was saying about, about the rebuild, about the mentality, about the, the culture and, and everything he was trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and it just fit the, the, the type of person I am and, and what I believe about, about the game. And so that worked out and came, came a week later and met, met the team in, in Salt Lake before we came out to, to Arizona. And that's where, where I met Nacho and, and Pablo right. and really spent the time, first time with Freddie. I'd, I had spoken to Freddie a couple of times um, in his preseasons with, with, with uh, Real Salt Lake and that was, they were at UCLA. So we always, I always had conversations with different, different teams that were coming in, yeah. Pablo Never spoke to him. Okay. Um, had played against him. Yeah, of course. Um, but never, never had a conversation. So that that everything was was pretty new. Nacho was at UCLA, so he okay. He, he's good. So knew different people. And sure. Spoke to him. He was at Cal Poly Pomona, so I'd spoken to him along the way. But it was it was really just everything was new coming in. I think it was a new experience. What was your impression of the club? I guess on and off the field. Um, you know, during whatever these different periods of time were. I mean, I guess the big question is how have you kind of seen RSL grow and obviously commit to the youth development paradigm? And I guess what kind of things were going through your head when, when, um, sorry, when Freddie was kind of talking to you about the club's philosophy? Yeah. I think back in the day when I was, when I was looking in, looking into Real Salt Lake yeah. as a potential player, uh, it was so new. And then watching both teams struggle, Chivas and, and, and RSL, and expansion's never easy. And then after a couple of years, you saw them, you saw RSL start to start to get get things together, um, get get a good core of guys. Yeah. And then I think as I left is really when they started firing. Um, and a few days, a few years later, you you saw them them win the championship. And, yeah. and uh, I, I always paid attention to what was going on. But that they had built such a such a good group, and I, I knew Kyle Beckerman, um, Ramondo from from his UCLA days. Of course, so it was following a couple of those players, um, and you just knew it had a really solid foundation, and, and they had built something really strong. Um, and then after a couple of years in in Germany, I, I think I started to I paid a little bit less attention. There was a lot more expansion growing going going mm-hmm. on in the league, and it went from twelve to fourteen to, sure. to eighteen, and. All of a sudden, it was a lot. So I would watch some games and, and look at the table, but kind of lost lost focus on on specifically what was going on in RSL. Uh, I came back to UCLA and did some recruiting. Uh, did a lot of recruiting, and, and RSL was one of the teams that you always knew had some quality in the youth. And I knew Martin Vasquez. Sure. Um, 
he was he was an assistant coach when I was in when I was in Chivas and so I would spend spend some time at the at the RSL's academy and then actually came over to Utah and saw the facilities and thought man this is this is great okay. this is impressive um and when I was at UCLA I had Eric Holt on the team nice I had Milan Oloski on the team uh Eric Oloski Milan's brother was also in in the program um and spoke to them would speak to them about it and when I'd go on the recruiting trips would would talk to them about the the youth players because they had had a good interaction, and then uh, started paying a bit more attention to what these players have done and and where they're going, and and then saw uh, when I was recruiting, it was a class with Ledesma and Soto, so oh, okay. so watch these guys, watch these guys on the field, and so, man, that's that's they got something going on there, uh, and then Holt ended up signing a homegrown here, then Milan came over here, and and that's when I was coaching them, watching them move on, and then seeing that the different homegrowns, the potential that was going on, uh, watch Ochoa. So I was watching the the Monarchs games because yeah. Holt was playing. He'd say, "Hey, um, we're in the playoffs and check it out." So I'd pop on the game. As a year, they ended up going to win the championship. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I got to see some of those some of those good moments and a lot of these homegrown start to move up. Uh, yeah, it was there was there was something, and you could tell because I was in the youth, well, the transitionary yeah sure phase for these players of recruiting them, having conversations with them. And they would move on to the to the first team, or they'd go on to college, and then and then get signed as homegrown. So yeah, I knew exactly what was going on in the youth movement that that was happening here at RSL, um, and and it was what I was ex- expecting coming in. Freddie Freddie spoke about the the homegrown players and yeah. and the youth and the connection to the academy. And Fred, Freddie had a, a strong um, attachment to to the youth and the and the Monarchs just because of his pathway sure. through the through the system. And so that that was exciting from what, where I was coming from at UCLA. It's I believe in it too. I believe in in the youth, we got to give them a chance, and, and and there's some real quality, and um, I mean they they'll prove themselves. The quality, the, the cream rises to the top, yeah. and and you've got some quality here that have been able to do that. How do you, you Pablo Nacho, the first team staff, obviously now Brett's joined. How easy or difficult, or what what's what do you, kind of things you have to think about and take into consideration to kind of integrate a philosophy all the way up and down a pyramid that's now as big as ours, because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that this club and every MLS club, it was 25 players, five coaches, 30 to 50 people in the front office, and you just got to win games. Mm -hmm. Now I know you and Pablo and Brett and Nacho, like your job is to win games, but you're also the most forward, like front facing consumer facing group. But, I mean, even now you look at our our preseason roster. You've got fourteen year olds and thirty five year olds in camp, and not only are you trying to get everybody on the same page, but try to obviously develop philosophies that go from RSL to Monarchs to U seventeens, U fifteens, and I imagine we'll at some point we'll add even younger groups. And I know you've got Hamison and and Mirza and uh, Joel, the Monarch staff here as well. So I guess what are the kind of challenges and opportunities of trying to integrate the club's philosophy from the first team down? It is a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> there are challenges. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that I think it's been a real focal point in the conversation. Yeah. For Pablo, um, for the club, and that's you said it. I think we have thirty, thirty-two players here. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of players from the Monarchs from the academy. Um, that have come the whole the whole Monarchs Academy staff, then the player identification of the IDP, the, the development uh, coach Cody Cody Warden's yep. here too. So you you really have um, 
an integral part of that pathway is here with us. Uh, when we get home, uh, we'll have some of the youth coaches come in and, and um, do the same thing that the Monarchs are doing, really be a part of training mm. so that they have an idea. And I think the, the, challenge, the challenge for the first team is, okay, we need to win games and we need to prepare this thing for, for day one. But at the same time, looking towards the future, how do we create an environment? How do we, how do we create really a, a pathway where these players can seamlessly, when they go from one level to the next, there's going to be tweaks in, in tactics. There's going to be tweaks in, in different nuances of the game, and it's going to be more physical. But how do we create a, a player that's resilient enough, uh, that, that has the attitude and the mentality that when he steps up to the next level, there, there's, there's RSL, the way that RSL plays, yeah, it could be a three-five-two, four-two-three. Yeah. The, the tactics don't matter, but what is the the DNA of the player? Mm -hmm. And if they can seamlessly jump from one team to the next, and not really have that hitch, it'll be a lot better, and it gives them the best opportunity to succeed. And you have a lot less of the setback. So that's our challenge, I think, is in conversations with with the the monarchs, with our staff, with with the front office, with the we haven't had them as as much lately, but those are starting to to come with the academy. Mm. Um, how, how do we create that that cohesion where we can have these players it create the best platform for the players yeah where, where they can show themselves and and having a, the best players have the opportunity to move up and get opportunities like being in preseason with us yeah uh, getting games against against uh, tomorrow it's going to be grand canyon but on wednesday it'll be it'll be um houston, houston. yeah so those opportunities those are those are invaluable like the players, the ones that are ready, are going to have the opportunity, and we'll see. We'll see how they do, and we're going to assist them and make sure that they have every opportunity to succeed. And I think it's the most important thing. It's not just throwing them into the deep end yeah. and saying sink or swim, but creating an environment where, where if if they're ready, on a personal level, that we've given them all the all the opportunity to to develop the right way, so that when they get here, they have success. Um. You know, I was told my whole life, like the way for you to get better is to play against guys better than you. So I guess how invaluable, and I guess we're still in kind of our infancy or whatever you want to talk about, but to take a kid like Julio Benitez or Haziel Orozco or uh, Axel K or any of these guys that we just signed. And, and I mean, a year ago it was the same thing, right, with Bodie Davis and Jeff Doosnip where, you know, they're academy kids, you throw them on the Monarchs, see how they do. Maybe they get a couple first-team sessions and they go back. Just being able to kind of bounce around from level to level or locker room to locker room, not only to learn how to do things on the field, but also to be able to watch Demir and Bobby and Justin Miram and, I mean, Edgar Castillo's in camp with us right now. Like these kind of, these vets that have seen it all and pretty much done it all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you imagine having that opportunity no, when you no, were fifteen I, oh, or sixteen? Oh man, I couldn't. I couldn't. I was. I was in California on a skateboard, <laughs> <laughs> heading up to the the local liquor store and getting some candy and there baseball cards and, and then yeah. skating home. I mean, it's different. It's a different life. It's it's hard to imagine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you said it. They have an amazing opportunity. I think that's it. Goes back to that's it's another. You bring up a good point with all these veteran players. I think something we've really tried to tried to provide for these young players but also for the the veteran players is is that relationship and saying saying to the veterans the vets hey come take this guy under your arm have a conversation with them if it's if it's just Amir or demir or you got a, these players and we're, we're breaking off into positional groups and give these guys some insight 
show them. And then we're telling, on the same time, we're telling these young kids, you have an unbelievable opportunity mm. to get this type of, just just soak up the knowledge and the experience that these guys have. And really, it advances, I have to imagine, it, it could really accelerate their development and growth. And yeah. so we're trying to provide that as well for them. Because I can, again, I have no idea, and this is, this is the hardest part is, as a 15 year old to be injected into a first team training, like you're saying with, with world cup vets yeah. and, and Europeans that have done it at the, at the highest level. And, and so you're looking at these guys and, and not to be intimidated to have that. And you want to have that, that arrogance, that ego, but controlled enough to understand where you are. Yeah. And so for us, it's, it's really trying to, trying to make sure that, that there is an opportunity to learn, develop, and get better. But I think also for the vets that they're able to, whatever they're going to do in life, to, to be a leader. It's another opportunity for them to be a leader and take these guys in their arm and say, but let's go. Like, you need to be a little bit, a little bit harder. You need, to, you need to work a little harder. Or, hey, have you thought about this? How, how about you work on this? Maybe are you doing this really well? I mean, even if you just get, they get a compliment from one of these older guys, it goes miles. Sure. Because they're walking away with, with their head lifted up high. Because it is, it's a, it's a, a rough world for a young kid to be in because if you make mistakes you've got people that are fighting for their livelihoods people on trial people in you yeah. say edgar casillo coming in if he's playing next to a 15 year old and he's trying to get a, a contract there's a lot more on the line for yeah. edgar than there is for this trialist and if, if it's his life or or if it, it could be for anyone else sure. by that matter i mean these guys are fighting for something greater than just kicking a ball around yeah so it's, it's their livelihood um with your background and everything you've you've been through and done and seen, is it a I guess a fair or reasonable criticism of our academy to this point that we haven't had the big multi million dollar transfer sale like Dallas has, right? Dallas has done a lot of that. Now they're under criticism because they haven't put any of that money back into their first team. Uh Phillies started to have a couple big sales with the Aronsons. Um Red Bulls, I think, are regarded as a pretty good academy. But then you look at what we've done. We've had three or four years where effectively 50% of our first team roster is either academy or Monarchs kids, uh, guys, I should say. And you look at the playoff run last year and you've got Ochoa, Herrera, Glad, Brody, Holtz, our third center back, played a lot of games last year. And you got you just got guys coming through. So, I mean, I know there's no single right way but i i do think they're in this twitter world we live in it might be a, a little bit of i don't know hyper critical to say well that academy isn't what we think it is until you sell somebody for 10 million dollars i think that's an unfair standard I, there is no recipe yeah <laughs> i think you go across europe I've, I've seen it uh from from bayern and dortmund down to um, teams like Freiburg, who's one of the best development academies. I sure. spent a long time and, and played against a lot of these reserve teams and first teams and watched the integration, the development. These teams don't get it right. And so yeah. I think we're in a hypersensitive world. And, and Twitter, I'll, I'll pop on a Twitter. I don't, I'm not an active Twitter user, but I'll pop yeah. on. And there's just, just a lot of critique for, for all aspects of the game. That's, yeah. that's, I guess, a part of the new... It's, it's water cooler, so, talk uh, radio it's, it's, kind it's, of thing. It's yeah. a social media effect, yeah. right? Yeah. But in reality... You've got a couple of first team players here that have done a, a fantastic job coming through the academy, getting to the first team. That's kudos to these players because yeah. that's not easy to do, and to the club for for creating the platform for these kids to develop. The big moves 
a lot of the time there's so much that has to go on for a big move like this. Yeah. Um, and whether it's pinned to what, is it the quality of the player? Is it, is it how well the, the club does? Is it the relationships? Is it the scouting departments? And, and that, that I can't even, I, I, I don't have any ground to speak about. Mm-hmm. And I know that you said it, we're in our infancy. This is, this is something that these other clubs around the world have been doing. So when you're talking Brazil and the development yeah. countries, we don't really, I think when this whole thing started, the, 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 the was it the DA development county? Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, it, it was to develop players for what were we talking about? I think we were trying to have, win the world cup, have success in the world. Right. That's what our, our end. And now you're starting to see that teams are starting to sell players. From here, I think we can start to look forward. What, what's the what's the goal of the club? And I think that's that's what that's going to take on. But as a player, it's it's interesting because I, everyone always is hypercritical about different different aspects and development, and and they're selling players and they're not, and they've got homegrowns. I, in Germany, the second Bundesliga, uh, there's a player, Marco Royce. Yeah, he, he's a good. He, I think he's a hundred million dollar player. Uh, I think he had options to to leave and go to go to Bayern for big, big, big money. Dortmund got it so wrong, and that's 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 what people <laughs> people don't understand is Dortmund gave up on this player at eighteen. Wow, went through their academy. He was eighteen years old. They said you're too small. You've got no chance. So what did he do? He went to a neighboring um, second Bundesliga club, a, a forty minutes down the road, Rottweilen played against him and thought wow this kid's good but i would have never pictured how good he is he does well in the set and that they actually went to he went to the regional league which was the third oh, okay. level at the time so yeah. he, went from, he went from the academy in dorman they said no he went to the regional league they get promoted in the second bundesliga and the only reason this is allowed to happen for for a country like this is because their country is 100 their their bundesliga is, is i think they started in 1940 something you got to wow. think about how old these, how much history goes in this, how much time of the development pathway that they have. So he goes to the Regional League, which is a competitive level. They got promoted to the second Bundesliga, which is then an unbelievable level. It's where Demir Krylak came yep. from. That's where yep. Bobby Wood played a lot of his career. So you've got a lot of these guys that, so he's, say now you have a 19 year old playing in this category. If he didn't go to the Regional League, who knows what would happen? Sure. Dortmund gave up on him. So Gladbach buys him for a million dollars. I think it was a million, million euros, let's say. Dortmund buys him back for close to 20 million. Wow. I, th- I think it was something around 20 million. Yeah. I mean, you can go fact check me. I don't know no, the number. It's, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, the principle. It proves the point. Yeah. Exactly. And so is anyone critical about Dortmund? No. You know what they're going to say? The process worked. Yeah. <laughs> they lost $19 million on the deal. But in the end, five years later, he yeah. comes back. He's playing Champions League. He's playing on the national team. He's going to World Cups. All this fun stuff. And he, they could have sold him for 80 million. And so one, one critic could say, hey, look at how bad that development is. And whereas another one would say, well, I don't know. They've got an $80 million, $100 million. It still developed market. them. It still yeah. developed them. Did it work? No. Did they give up on them? Yeah. But they also were, I mean, you got a credit to them. They said, okay, we're humble enough to, to admit our mistake, right. put our hand sure. up. We're going to pay however much it takes yep. to, to get this guy back. He's one of our own. We want and him back. All yeah. that stuff. So uh, there's so many stories like that. There's so many yeah. stories in, in different countries in Germany specifically, I can speak to because I played against a lot of these guys. I've yeah. seen it, but that happens all the time. And it just goes to show there's no recipe. A lot of it's random, random acts, random occurrence. Yeah. Does a player have it within him, within himself? And so that's why I say development is what it is. I think the success for your RSL right now is you have that many homegrowns playing. Is a big move player going to come? 
You'd hope so. Well, and this is in any sport. It's also situational, right? Like 100%. if if you've got the right coach or the right assistant coach or the right trainer or nutritionist or whatever around you, that can be the difference between prospering at this juncture or that juncture or whatever. A mm -hmm. um, couple more questions. You're very generous with your time, so thank you. Um, let's talk about the playoff run last year. Like, obviously, Freddie leaves. Pablo takes over as the interim. Um, just a, kind of an amazing roller coaster ride to end the year and then a brilliant uh, playoff run. And the the word that I think kept getting thrown around a lot was the culture that you guys were building uh, in that locker room. And, you know, in the world of sports, the whole like nobody believes in us, us against the world, those are kind of cliches. But I think with, with this club, with that situation in terms of what was happening off the field with the ownership uncertainty and all that kind of thing, maybe that stuff's apropos. But I guess if you can peel back the curtain a little bit to um, the ways in which you know you and Pablo tried to keep everybody together, get everybody moving in the right direction, and obviously provide so many uh, fantastic moments. I mean, for that, for this club, that team to have led the league last year and goals scored after the 80th minute. Obviously, you got the Demiracle in Kansas City, which was awesome to get us into the playoffs. Uh, the Seattle game, the comeback in the Kansas City playoff game. Um, it's just, you know, there's a million moments, but I guess it all go, it kind of goes back to guys believing in each other, guys believing in you, you believing in them. And um, it was just a, a wild ride, something we're all going to remember for a lot of years. And in many ways, it kind of set the foundation for maybe this new era with, with David Blitzer and Ryan Smith. So the so question is just, sorry, <laughs> I, I just start rambling. Um, well, no, I loved it. You got me. Yeah. Maybe it was me. I, I started thinking about all the memories but then I got I guess, sidetracked. I guess the core, the core of the question is, you know, how, how do you guys build, how does a group like you and Pablo and Nacho and everybody build a culture? And, and, and what role does that play in maybe some of those great moments we saw last year and certainly the expectations going into this year? Uh, it started in preseason last year, for yeah. sure. For sure. And I think Freddie, Freddie had the vision. And I think that's something that gets lost. Yeah, it does get lost. That he said, number one right now, the thing that this team needs moving forward from, from the 2020 year was just a group of guys that are willing to go out and fight for each other. Coaching staff that can connect with the guys that can, that can help to really be there as a part of the team, connect him with the team. Um, just to get on the same page. Mm. Uh, and when you get that, I think everyone's been a part of a culture, whether at work or in school or youth teams, whatever it is, when they're, when they're, when you're fighting for each other, when you're fighting for the, the greater yeah. good of the group, it, you're so much stronger and you know that and you feel that. And I think Freddie did a good job of, of, of bringing in the right players and then the front office, you know, vetting some of these players coming in and, and, and the staff that came in and it, it just felt good from the beginning, from, from preseason. Um, and then when Pablo took over, I think I think we were in, you know, in a good way. We we're in a playoff spot when, when Freddie took off, and it was a bomb. It was definitely a bomb. Yeah. Uh, and then the first game uh, at I'll Vancouver, never, I'll yeah. never forget that one because everyone was a bit shocked. Uh, I think you know everyone was kind of kind of uh, just shell shocked by by what what had happened, and and Pablo taking over and saying, "Man, I 
you know, I think Pablo's in, in, in a, in a place in his career where he, he had, he had got thrown in the deep end quick and, and then had some success and then ended up, um, getting let go in, in Colorado mm. and, and took some time and said, oh, I want to develop my craft and, and really, really did a good job of, of put, putting his, uh, not ego. I, I think everyone knows Pablo, he, yeah. he's, he wants to learn, he wants to move forward. He wants to develop himself as a coach, a leader, as a person. And, and really did that going to Houston, coming to Salt Lake. And I think it was a perfect storm where, where he has all the intangible leadership qualities. Um, and then when it came time to combine that with, that was absolutely needed in a must. And that's what he does best. Sure. Everyone's seen the, the, the videos that get posted and yeah. his interviews and, and you feel with him, right? Yeah. He, he's a leader that, that brings you on by example, by what he does and also by the, what he says. So you just, you have that feeling of, of you can, you can be better when you're around him. And I think the guys definitely feel that way. And at the same time is his development as a coach, um, throughout the last couple of years really helped him, helped, helped the guy. So not only the mental side and he'll talk about mentality all the yeah. time. We, we all hear it. We all hear the mentality, but his, his ability as a coach and in a, in a, in a teacher to take that team, to take that four, one, loss at vancouver mm -hmm. when everyone's kind of like wow okay pivotal moment we got punched in the face on the road we had some injury issues we had some people that were that were out of games so some suspensions and demir was out and i think aaron had a couple of yeah. games where he was missing there and so we had to change the tactics um how are we going to do it uh moving forward and, and we ended up changing systems and and people people will will look to say ah oh, yeah the, the last minute goals and said and the other but i think it was it was the ability to to move forward in a new direction and take on the three five two, um, and and do it so well so quickly to to with the pieces we had, for the guys to accept the system, make the best out of it, get some results, the mentality of the group, building upon that, and I think every game that that we had success made us stronger, and and I think there was a confidence you could see in Pablo too that that sure it took him it took him a couple of weeks to get comfortably being a head coach again i think that's that's always one of those things is you have your own history and experience to deal with where are you in your own life and so i think you could see the confidence in him grow and and you could just feel it from the team and then watching it i'm a part of it myself right but you also have that feeling of of sometimes you, you take a step back and you look in and you go wow this is there's something special in this group there's something special with pablo right and, and so being a part of that was phenomenal i mean for me the experience is that and and you watch those last minute goals. You watch the, the belief in the team. Right. And and that's a that's a combination. It's not just mentality. And a lot of people say the belief and mentality. I think it's a combination of everything that that team had done from from the preseason, even mm. before preseason, picking yeah. the team and and these guys coming in early. I mean, that's something that, that goes overlooked as they were in doing fitness sessions all throughout the offseason. And so getting to that point you could see the belief in the team and the tactics and the acceptance and, and everything that was going on. There was an, uh, it, it was a great culmination of everything. And so I guess to answer the question, I think it's, it's just too many little yeah. differences and, and, and influences from the leaders in the team, from the young players in the team to, to, to Pablo's influence, to, to everything that needed to come together that helped this snowball effect move towards towards a playoff run and then it goes exponential from that the belief the mentality because yeah. then the buy-in is incredible and then we had a pivotal moment that's that's the thing that gets that gets me every time it's like okay and you look at from from the outside i don't know how 
how people looked into it, talked about it, but you change from a three from a four two three one to a back to a three five two, and then the decisions to to bring Marcelo back in the team, the decision to go back to a four two three one, the last game of the season when we're we're in Kansas City where it's tough to win. I mean, just unbelievable that the team was able to accept that Pablo was able to get the guys to to really buy into that a last game change, and then you saw what happened. Right. Again, it's it's the players. The players just took it and ran with it. I think Pablo did a fantastic job, motivating, coaching, everything, and and that that ended up being the playoff run. Awesome. Um. So what's different now this year? Right, there's just a little more stability on and off the field, right? Because you've got you've got ownership in place with a great vision. Um, I think everybody's still getting to know them, but you know they are saying all the right things and it. And a lot of this is, isn't public yet, but they're doing uh, the right things. I think they're empowering everybody to go out and do their jobs to the best of their abilities with the with the right resources. So this is exciting. But, you know, obviously Pablo got the interim tag removed. Um, I think hopefully, you know, the staff is stable and in place. Brett's now here. Um, and Demir said something interesting to me the other day. He said, look, Normally, you need a little bit a bigger break during the off season, mm-hmm. but with the run we went on, the excitement around the club, that short off season might actually help us a little bit because we can keep the momentum going in a way that you traditionally can't. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the season's starting early. We're a month away from opening day right now as mm-hmm. as we record this, uh, February twenty seventh in Houston. Um, so this is kind of the last thought, the last question, but, um, just how excited are you for 2022 to maybe, uh, build on what, on what you guys built last year? Very excited. Yeah. (laughs) I think everyone's excited with the new ownership group coming in and, and like you said, saying the right things, doing the right things. Um, yeah, but every year in the MLS there's turnover. Yeah, and so we know the job that we have out of us as, as a staff. It's you have new pieces. Some big pieces have moved on. Um, we're still in the process of acquiring those new players, um, which will be very influential in the season. We'd love to have them here. We have we have a few. Everton just came back into the team. Right, um, Sergio's in the team, and so now now it's it's a big it's always a big job to, to make sure that we do things. Uh, in the right way that to, to a, that these guys can assimilate into the group, continuing that same mentality, building upon upon what we what we started, and I think we're gonna we're gonna be looking to add another player or two, nice. um, and at some point we'll thin down the group that we have. Yeah. when I say thirty two, I think it was yeah. thirty two that we have here, and really start to focus and and we're laying the foundation right now. Um, and I think we have a great foundation to work from. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's excited. We're excited understanding the task at hand. And yeah. I, I think we're, we're all optimistic. And uh, this, this, um, this group has shown what they're capable of. A core of the group is back. And we're looking forward as much as anyone else is to, yeah. to game day one. But we know yeah. that the next, the next month has, we got to do a lot of work. A lot of work, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing, what, what's been your experience with the RSL fan base and how, uh, how are you and your family enjoying, uh, being part of the Utah community? 
nothing nothing but great things to say yeah. I, i'm a little behind the scenes <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so my my face isn't quite out there as much yeah but yeah you you saw that i, I think the fans enjoyed like you like the memories you were talking about the memories mm -hmm. that i felt uh from, from last year i think the fans enjoyed that across the board as well and and so i'm i'm in the youth soccer scene because i got two two daughters who were playing nice um youth soccer and, and the parents there's a buzz there, there was a definite buzz last year and um I know a lot of the teams are, are a lot of the, a lot of the communities and and parents and team kids in the team. It, it's out there, and so that's that's something that great that's great for for us is knowing that that Arsenal is a part of the community, um, and and the fans are, are living it, they're into it, they're watching it, and yeah, I mean, I like I said, I get to experience that kind of firsthand, not because I'm front and center, right. but because I get to see behind the scenes what what it's like <laughs> in Salt Lake, so. And then on top of that, yeah, a family, we've really enjoyed coming, moving to Salt Lake. Um, great outdoor yeah. activities wow, for the family. Fantastic. Schools are great. We've, uh, we've really enjoyed the, the acclimation phase and, and right on. Um, ready, ready for year two. All right. Well, uh, we'll check in with you again, kind of mid-season. Really appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited for the fans uh, to get to know you because I think your story is fascinating and obviously i love seeing you every day around the club and around the team and and uh, we're all excited for 2022 so thanks for hanging out let's go awesome <laughs>